Welcome, everyone, to the fourth annual Monday Match Analysis Awards. I'm your host, Gil Gross. This is always a great time to look back at the year that was to reflect on the moments and give recognition to the fantastic athletes that I have the privilege to cover every year on this channel for the fourth year running. Coming to you from a new location, no longer is the show New York-based. It is now Los Angeles-based. So very exciting news, I believe, on, on that front. And uh, it's the reason I've been I've been gone a while, but I can't wait to come back with this. So uh, if this is your first ever Monday Match Analysis Awards, uh, then you may not know that I always begin this show by taking a look at my top 10 prediction at the start of the year and comparing it to the top 10 at the end of the year, the actual result. And it's always a prediction I'm terrified to reveal to you, which I will do now in a couple of weeks. I will reveal the 2022 prediction of the top 10. But here is what I predicted for 2021 on the left of your screen. On the right is what the actual top 10 turned out to be. So let's go through this. Uh, Novak Djokovic, I predicted him to retain the number one ranking spot and finish year-end number one. He did that. Uh, it should not say minus two next to his name on the right. It should just have a dash. Uh, so Djokovic, I got right. At number two, I did feel that trajectory-wise, Dominic Team would finish the year number two. Obviously, he struggled mentally. He struggled physically. He played about a quarter of the year before going out indefinitely with uh, the wrist injury, and team fell well outside of the top 10. And number three, I had Rafael Nadal, another player who did not have a, a very healthy 2021, was unable to play the North American hardcourt swing, and as a result, Drop down to number six in the world. At number four, I predicted Stefano Tsitsipas. And that was looking like an excellent prediction for most of the season. And it came true. Stefano Tsitsipas finished the year at number four in the world, as I predicted. Daniil Medvedev, I predicted to finish number five in the world. And my logic for that was actually correct. I said that Medvedev would not improve on clay, and therefore it would be very difficult for him to maintain his, you know, a top three ranking. But he was actually so good on hard court that it didn't matter despite his struggles on clay. And I also had some concerns about his ability to win long best of five set matches, which he didn't have to. Of course, the only player to take a set off him at the U.S. Open was Botik van de Zanschulp. Uh, Medvedev had a tremendous year and finished at number two in the world, knocking on the door um, of Novak Djokovic's number one slot, actually. And it it will be tight come 2022. At number six, I predicted Roger Federer. If you remember, Roger Federer was set to come back right after the Australian Open. And I thought that was plenty tennis. And I still have a lot of faith in him if he's healthy, of course, he had a nightmarish year from a physical health perspective, and Rogers well outside the top 10. I predicted Andre Rublev to finish the year at number 7. He exceeded that and ended up finishing at number 5. I actually feel like Rublev had exactly the year I thought he would. 
there was not much of an improvement on Andre Rublev's part if you compare his level to what he did in 2020. And that's why I predicted that he would only move up one ranking spot. But the players in front of him, the Nadals, the teams, the Federers, they really paved the way for Rublev to make a bigger jump than I expected. At number eight, by far my worst prediction, I had Alexander Zverev. I was not confident in the trajectory of Zverev's career. And I was concerned with some of the the weaknesses in his game just stagnating. Uh, However, Zverev made a big improvement in 2021 and rose to number three in the world. And remember, his Olympic gold didn't afford him any of those rankings points. So an excellent year for Zverev, much better than I expected. At number nine, I predicted Denis Shapovalov. And Shapovalov... Uh, was looking to be a great prediction. He broke into the top 10 for the first time in his career after making the Wimbledon semifinal, but strangely lost the mental edge completely after that Wimbledon semifinal and finished the year at number 14 in the world. At number 10, I had Yannick Sinner, and miraculously, I nailed it. He moved up exactly 24 ranking spots to finish at number 10. So I got three out of the 10 right. I'm st- I, most of the things I got wrong um, were players that were not healthy this year. Team, Nadal, Federer, uh, difficult to predict. But overall, I'm decently pleased with my performance. I think it, it's, uh, you know, it, it's never pretty. It's never pretty. But I do feel like I, I put in a decent effort. A shout out to uh, Matteo Berrettini who I predicted to to fall out of the top 10. Tremendous grass court season, Wimbledon final. Uh, he did not fall out of the top 10. Shout out to Casper Ruud. Moved up 19 ranking spots, finished at number 8 in the world. Shout out to Hubert Hurkacz. Moved up 25 ranking spots, finished at number 9 in the world. Those are all the players who finished in the top 10 who I uh, did not predict would finish in the top 10. So now, without further ado, we move on to the award portion of tonight's programming. Uh, We always start with the best shot award. A couple of guidelines for this award. Last year's winner was Benoit Parrott, the ATP Cup, who who hit this tremendous sliding forehand around the pole passing shot winner. No hot dog shots are allowed to win this category. If it didn't need to be a fancy shot and you made it a fancy shot for the heck of it, you're eliminated. Uh, No lucky shots are allowed. If if it wasn't skill, if it was luck, you can't win this category. I like unique shots, shots that you don't see every day. And all of the boxes are checked by Marton Fucevic's shot against Alexander Bublik in Madrid. The lob goes over his head. He just barely chases it down and hits a shot that I personally do not have a name for. I have seen it before. It's not the first time I've seen this almost forehand reverse flick, reverse shovel. If you have a name for this shot, leave it in the comments below. I'm very curious to know what you think, but incredible get by Fucevic. He hits it for a clean winner. Uh, It's a unique shot, a rare attempt that you don't see very often, and I have never seen it hit so cleanly, um, so tremendously well. So Marton Fucevic, congratulations. 
uh, best shot of the year. Now, for some of these categories, I will give an honorable mention. Not for all of them. Only, uh, only things that I feel like deserve to be mentioned will be mentioned. I won't always have an honorable mention. In this case, I will say Jensen Brooksby had a tremendous around-the-pole shot at the U.S. Open. But I got to say, I'm getting a little tired of around-the-pole shots at the U.S. Open uh, because the first two years of this award... Uh, they both went to around the pull shots at the U.S. Open. So we got to mix it up here. Fucevic, tremendous shot. Congratulations. Uh, our next category is story of the year. Last year, this went to the bushfire relief efforts in Australia. Uh, the tremendous tragedy that was the bushfires in Australia and all of the money raised throughout the Australian Open Swing by tennis to uh, to go towards the relief efforts. Story of the year is always something that I like to highlight that that occurred off the court, something important and worth praising off the court. And in 2021, I believe that goes to none other than tennis uniting behind Peng Shui. Now, unfortunately, this isn't a an uplifting story. Unfortunately, this is an ongoing story. There is a smidge of controversy to this story, but all that aside, I have to say, uh, this was tennis leading on the world stage. This is one of the most significant examples by the WTA pulling all of its events from China, a tragedy, but also one of the most significant examples of morals over profit that I've ever seen. It would not have been possible without the response of tennis fans everywhere, without the response of brave players like Elise Cornet, who led the way, so many others, including Novak Djokovic, who were all vocally supportive of Peng Shui, making this story as big as it was. It went to the to the UN, to the White House, um, all of the largest media outlets in the world were covering this story because of the response within the tennis community. And ultimately, the WTA uh, has taken unprecedented action um, against China. Again, unfortunately, the story ongoing and still no evidence that Peng Shui has any freedom at this time. Story of the year. Story of the year right there. For our next category, Comeback Player of the Year. And this year, it goes to none other than Mackie McDonald. He did win the ATP version of this award. Last year, it was won by Vashik Pospisil, who also came off injury. McDonald, another player, comes off injury. It was a right hamstring surgery in 2019. He was ranked as low as, as 272 in the world in 2020, started 2021 at 194, and got right to work at the Australian Open with a key run to the fourth round, which gave him the, the key rankings points necessary to make his stint at the challenger level as short as possible. He did play some challengers, had great success at that level, and ultimately it was his run in Washington, D.C., beating Nick Kyrgios, beating Ilya Avashka, and coming through a fantastically played, entertaining three-setter with Kane Ishikori to make the final in Washington, then pushed Yannick Sinner to three sets before losing. That vaulted him up to what is now a career-high 54 in the world 
after a brutal hamstring injury in 2019 at Roland Garros where he couldn't even walk. Well-deserved comeback player of the year, Mackie McDonald. And speaking of comebacks, our next category is match comeback. Match comeback. Last year, this went to Dominic Team. Unbelievably memorable comeback in the final of the U.S. Open against Alexander Zverev. And this year, it goes to Stefano Tsitsipas, who defeated Rafael Nadal from down two sets to love at the Australian Open, becoming just the third man to ever beat Nadal after going down to love in sets. It ended a real drought at majors for Tsitsipas. It was his first signature victory since his 2019 breakthrough against Roger Federer at the very same stage. Uh, Nadal held held a 5-1 to head-to-head edge over Stefanos. And Rafa was very close in the third set to putting this away. Now, I will admit that Nadal played what was a shockingly bad third set tiebreak. He missed two overheads. He made a lot of awful mistakes. And uh, then he ended up hitting what was sort of an energy wall. But Tsitsipas was so incredibly poised and... What was really on display throughout the night was, first of all, his newfound composure after losing the first two sets, but then his physical dominance, which became a storyline throughout the first half of this tennis season. Uh, Tsitsipas was um, unbelievably athletic, quick, and enduring throughout the match, played very, very um, physically dominant tennis willing to drag Nadal into the uh, into the trenches by limiting the errors and defending ferociously. And Rafa ultimately didn't have the energy in the tank to overcome Tsitsipas on this day. I've also never seen Steph protect his backhand so well against Rafa Nadal. So this was uh, a really surprising comeback given all the factors after... Tsitsipas was down two sets to love. This is a category that needs honorable mentions. I mentioned last year that this went to team in a major final coming back from two sets to love down. Well, guess what? That happened again in 2021. Novak Djokovic did it in the final of Roland Garros against Stefano Tsitsipas, coming back against Tsitsipas. Coming back against Tsitsipas. Now, there is a reason why I gave the edge, obviously, to Tsitsipas uh, beating Nadal at the Australian Open. And that's because I never really felt like Djokovic was ever in trouble in that match at the French. Uh, I don't think that anyone was stunned to see him come back from that deficit. And part of that is just because the, the feeling that he was first of all going to be the better player at his best, but also the fact that Tsitsipas was probably going to have trouble closing, and that was almost inevitable. Where Nadal uh, has been there a million times before, there was probably nothing in anyone's mind that that thought that maybe he would struggle to close out Tsitsipas. So it was just less surprising to me. Less surprising, I think, to everyone. Um, And that's why... It doesn't get the nod. Uh, another honorable honorable mention does go to Alexander Zverev. The reason um, against Novak Djokovic 
in the semifinal at the Olympics in Tokyo. The reason that doesn't win is because it was only a set and a break. Nonetheless, an incredibly significant and momentous comeback that occurred this season, uh, obviously with historical impl- uh, implications and the way Zverev dominated from that juncture down a set and a break was pretty breathtaking. So honorable mention is Zverev, honorable mention to Djokovic, uh, but this one goes to Stefano Tsitsipas. The next category is most improved player. Last year, this was a really easy category. It went to Andre Rublev, and it wasn't particularly close. This season, it was the most competitive category. It was the category that was the most hotly debated, the most difficult to figure out, and it was really a a three-horse race. Well, the winner is Cameron Norrie. Cam Nori went from 71 to begin the year to number 12 in the world to finish the year. Something that I don't think anyone predicted. He is physically unassuming. His game does not have any one major weapon. But with his tactical guile, with his mental toughness and effort level... Um, and the skill building that he's done on his serve, on his forehand, and on his backhand, Cam Nori proved to be throughout the year on every single surface and really on a week-in, week-out basis, an incredibly difficult out throughout the year. He had terrible draws at the majors, so most of the success came outside the majors. But what really put him over the edge was the Indian Wells title. I was debating this category in my head all season long, but when Cam Nori won in Palm Springs, won in the desert, that is the title that sealed the deal for me. The other contenders, of course, I'm giving honorable mentions here. Kasparud went from 27 in the world to 8 in the world. He won five titles. He had an incredible season. The reason why uh, I don't give him the nod over Cam Norrie is because, again, I just felt like the improvement wasn't as vast. Rude was already on his way to being a top 10 player. I don't think it surprises anyone that that Rude finds himself in the position that he finds himself now at the end of 2021. It was always going to happen. He was on that upward trajectory, and he simply continued that upward trajectory. The other honorable mention is Aslan Karatsev, who, unlike Kaspar Rude, nobody saw coming. He was not on anyone's radar unless you closely followed results on the Challenger Tour at the end of 2020. But Aslan Karatsev had the largest jump in rankings. He went to 112 all the way up to 18 in the world. He had this unforgettable run to the Australian Open semifinal, of course. The reason... I didn't go with Karatsev is because he just wasn't that same player in the second half of the year. And usually I don't like recency bias. I like to look at the year and there's no difference between January and October. And I'm going to look at both of those things the same. But this, this award is literally about improving. And I felt like Karatsev hit somewhat of a wall and didn't have a big victory 
really since his result against Djokovic in Belgrade. Uh, the the results in majors were somewhat disappointing as well. So was he a top 30 player? Yes, he was. But ultimately, Nori's results were far more consistent, and he got that big title that even Casper Ruud cannot say he got. So 11th in the race, Cam Nori, unbelievable season, and he is well-deserved, most improved player, although I got to say, Casper um, Ruud and Aslan Karatsev made me think long and hard. Next category is in a similar vein to most improved player. This is newcomer of the year. And last year, this was an easy decision. Yannick Sinner. This year, the decision is just as easy. Carlos Alcaraz. What a year it was. It was first after first after first. For the young Spaniard, he became the youngest singles player um, in the Australian Open draw in the field of 128. No one was younger, and he won a match. That's how the year started. Then he went to the French Open and made the third round, beat a seeded player, Nicolas Basilashvili. After the French, he won his first career title in Umag. He became the youngest player to win a title since Kei Nishikori won in Delray Beach 2009. Then he went to the U.S. Open, and he got better and better and better. This time he made the fourth round. He beat Stefano Tsitsipas, his signature win of his young career. Became the youngest man to make the fourth round since Andre Medvedev did it in 1992. He capped off the year, just like Yannick Sinner did two seasons ago, by winning the next-gen finals. In my opinion, he is the most exciting teenager that we have seen in men's tennis since Novak Djokovic. Carlos Alcaraz, newcomer of the year. Well-deserved. Next up is tournament run of the year. Now, this is a bit of an ambiguous category, but it goes to... It goes to a tournament run that I believe deserves recognition on its own. It's not a single match. It's not a player. It's just a week that really speaks for itself. A week that needs to be honored, or multiple weeks in the case of a major. Uh, it needs to be honored in itself. And this year, to me, that is Aslan Karatsev. His run to the Australian Open semifinal, which took everyone by surprise. Last year, the winner of this event, uh, this award rather, was Daniil Medvedev at the ATP Finals, uh, just destroying everyone in his path. That was an unbelievable run, just like Karatsev had here. Uh, Karatsev was ranked 114 in the world, 27 years of age, had never won more than five tour-level matches in a single year had to go to Doha to qualify that's strange yeah Australian Open qualifying had to go to Doha drew Brandon Nakashima in round one they went to three sets tough draw for the first round of qualifying he ends up qualifying beats Jean-Luc Maguire in three beats Igor Garasimov in three then he beats Diego Schwartzman in three sets. Blows him off the court. Breathtaking offensive performance. 
But guess what? He can go five as well. And he beat Felix, OJ Aliasim in five sets. In the next round, Grigor Dimitrov got injured and Karatsev beat him in four. And then in the semifinal, he met Novak Djokovic. Didn't play badly. And I thought he, he gave the fans enough to look at. There were some good points. There was some competitive tennis. Of course, Novak was too much. And that is where the the run ended. But Karatsev and his stoic demeanor, his hyper-aggressive game became an instant cult favorite at the Australian Open. And I believe he is here to stay as one of the top 30 players in the men's game in the immediate future. Honorable mentions, Cam Norrie, Indian Wells, Lloyd Harris in Dubai. Both of those were exceptional runs that I think nobody could have possibly expected. Upset of the year. My favorite category, perhaps, uh, because upset of the year always fills me with great memories. It's usually, uh, usually a fantastic match that elicits a lot of strong emotions. And this year is no exception to that. Last year, it was Hugo Gaston, his win over Stan Wawrinka at Roland Garros. This year, perhaps an even better candidate. Carlos Alcaraz with another Monday Match Analysis Award in 2021 for his victory over Stefano Tsitsipas at the U.S. Open. This was the upset in 2021 that will carry a legacy, by far the most memorable the major arrival of Carlos Alcaraz. And we all knew he was going to be special, but all indications suggested that he would not be ready to win a match like this. He had played three top five opponents previously. He had never been close to even winning a set. 0-7 in sets against top 10 opponents coming into this match. And not only did he beat Tsitsipas, he won in spectacular fashion. He came back from 5-2 down in the third set, one in a tiebreak. He got bageled then in the fourth set and looked like he was done, out of gas. Only to win a tight, gripping, heart-pounding match tiebreak, 7-6 in the fifth. And by the way, the environment, the crowd made this, as is usually the case, usually upset of the year, the crowd is getting behind the underdog. And this was no exception. Unbelievable atmosphere in this match. And uh, the fearless offense and skill set of Carlos Alcaraz was on full display. It was really the only... Look, the top players did really well this year at the majors. This was the only early round defeat of one of the major contenders at a major this year, off the top of my head. So, Carlos Alcaraz, upset of the year. Honorable mentions. I got to give an honorable mention to Daniil Ostapenkov beating Diego Schwartzman at Davis Cup. Now, the reason this could not be the winner of this award is because nobody watched this match. I know I didn't. Um, so I wasn't going to give it the award. But it's worth discussing because it was truly miraculous. And we may never see anything like this for a very long time. Daniil Ostapenkov, 18 years old, with no ATP points to his name and an ITF junior ranking of 63, takes out world number 15 Diego Schwartzman on his best surface. The odds were 1 to 500 
for Schwartzman. So if you put $100 on Schwartzman to win, you would have won 20 cents. If you put $100 on Ostapenkov to win, you would have won $10,000. So that alone is worth an honorable mention for upset of the year. Daniil Ostapenkov of Belarus. Um, another honorable mention goes to Martin Fucevic beating Andrei Rublev at Wimbledon after losing three straight to Rublev, begging to not play him again. And Fucevic getting the better of, of the Russian on this occasion was definitely uh, one of the upsets of the year. Another five-setter here and um, a, a kind of a storyline full circle there. Andrei Rublev, uh, on the other side of things, gets a, an honorable mention on the winning side with his win over Daniil Medvedev at Cincinnati. His upset victory when a lot of people, especially after Medvedev won the first set, were proclaiming that Andrei Rublev would never beat Daniil Medvedev in his career. And suddenly it happened. Reversing uh, an all-time matchup nightmare. Famously, Rublev has always said that not only has he never beaten Daniil Medvedev as a pro, but he never beat Daniil Medvedev when they were playing as little kids growing up in Moscow. So, upset of the year. Always a good one. Our next category is performance of the year. Single match performance. This always goes to a player who was, over the course of a couple hours, unbelievably dominant, playing the highest level of tennis humanly possible, usually in a big match. Last year, it was Rafael Nadal in the Roland Garros final, beating Novak Djokovic in three sets. This year, it goes to the man Nadal beat, Novak Djokovic, in similar fashion, taking out Daniil Medvedev in the Australian Open final. Again, we were gearing up for an epic. Most weren't sure who was going to win this one. In fact, Daniil Medvedev came in as a slight favorite in the betting odds. And I know that might be hard for a lot of people to believe in hindsight. And when I said that after the match, when I said Medvedev came in the favorite, some people got angry at me for simply stating a fact. Can you imagine that? But the reason was this. Medvedev was on a 20-match win streak, and 12 of those wins were against top 10 opponents. It was, without any hyperbole, one of the most incredible win streaks that we've ever seen. And Djokovic made Medvedev look ordinary in this final. Especially the Daniil Medvedev serve. What really sticks out to me in this match was Djokovic's all-time great return which literally made Medvedev's serve look average. It was a simply breathtaking return performance from Novak. And he came in with an unbelievable game plan that he executed so well. He dictated at all costs in the first set, even if that meant making errors. It went to a tiebreak, and Novak was clutching the tiebreak. He won it. But what he did in the first set, he dictated so much. He made Medvedev run so much that he really took it out of Daniil's legs. And from there, uh, Novak could dominate, which he did in a straight set victory. Performance of the year. Novak tends to do this in Australia. We can put it that way. The next award, as we get down to the home stretch, match of the year. 
Just two more awards left, folks. Match of the year. This is always a highly debated category. And this year is an interesting case. It goes to the Roland Garros semifinal. Novak Djokovic defeating Rafael Nadal in four sets. This was the greatest performance of all time against Rafael Nadal on court Philippe Chatrier. We've never seen anyone beat, in my opinion, such a strong version of Nadal. Now, with that being said, this, this match has been scrutinized as a match of the year choice. The reason for that is it was only really good for three sets. Usually the match of the year, four good sets, usually five good sets, if not four. This one was really only three. Although there were some moments even in the fourth set. Um, so I understand that. I get that. And then some people have pointed to Nadal's injury that came out kind of after the match. But look, if Nadal's injury affected him and if Nadal was feeling pain, which I think he was, which Nadal has played through pain throughout many portions of his career, um, it didn't really matter surely until the fourth set because Rafa played amazing. I mean, Nadal was playing really great until the fourth set. He ran out of energy. He did a ton of running in the match. And was he broken in the fourth set? Was he done? Yes, but for three sets, and mostly the third set, oh, the third set, it's enough. And after looking at the other options, it was my choice for match of the year. There was no peak higher than that Nadal Djokovic third set, and that was enough for match of the year. I also do want to mention that uh, 2021 was a year that was... Um, Somewhat defined by moments with uh, in terms of the crowd that uh, were sometimes affected by COVID. And in this case, uh, this match was so good that the French government had to uh, pass an executive order to let the crowd stay. So if that doesn't uh, speak volumes, I don't know what does. Honorable mentions. Team over Kyrgios at the Australian Open. That was a, a comeback from two sets to love down. Unbelievable environment and a gladiatorial-like effort from Dominic Team. Um, Alejandro Davidovich Fokina defeating Casper Ruud. Roland Garros round three. Now, I think, you know, I, I wasn't watching this match until the fifth set, and I think I'm not alone. And that's why, to me, can't be match of the year. Uh, I think that... Stage matters, hype matters, and that's why it's going to be hard for a round three match to ever win an award like this. Um, but the fifth set was the most dramatic stuff that I had seen all season long. And if I were to tell you, if I were to show someone tennis for the first time, um, just for the the simple drama, just the drama alone, I would show people that fifth set. Um, out of all the action that we saw this year. Nadal defeating Tsitsipas in Barcelona. Three hours, uh, 42 minutes, I believe. Best of three set match, full of drama in that final. Djokovic beating uh, Tsitsipas in three sets in Rome. That 
was uh, a super high level three set match, which was razor tight the whole time. Um, as good as it gets that match. So that also deserves an honorable mention. Without further ado, we have finally reached the end. And as always, it is the player of the year. The 2021 Monday Match Analysis Award for Player of the Year goes to Novak Djokovic, who was one match away from completing the Grand Slam for the first time by any man in the open era. In Australia, he fought through injury. It looked like he was done, won it. In Paris, he got through the King of Clay in the semifinals. At Wimbledon, he got through the nerves as the overwhelming favorite with history on the line. At the U.S. Open, he got his revenge over Alexander Zverev after losing to him at the Olympics. But he couldn't beat Medvedev, and he couldn't beat the exhaustion. Despite playing just 11 tournaments, Novak finished year-end number one for a record seventh year in a row. And at every turn, it seemed that Djokovic was in the middle of each and every important storyline at the pinnacle of men's tennis in 2021. He is, once again, Player of the Year. It is a great honor. It is a great thrill. It is a great privilege to do this YouTube channel every year. Hope you enjoyed. Don't forget to subscribe. I'll see you next time.